Hello, my name's John Moore. Um, I um, am a GP in Northwest London, um, and I specialize in medical education. Um, the yeah, the name uh, on my screen is John T. Moore, but that's not me. That's actually my 12-year-old son who, who runs the uh, IT in our home. So apologies for any confusion for that. Um, so I've been given the topic to speak to you on today of COVID-19. What is it and how does it present? Um, so if we could uh, move on to the slides, please. Uh, the the first, first two slides would be great. Thank you. Um, yep, yeah, just need to go up uh, by by one, please. That's an error. That's an error. Um, that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll carry on talking. So, uh, what is what what is COVID nineteen? COVID nineteen is the illness uh, that is caused in humans by uh, the virus known as SARS CoV two. Um, which, as its name suggests, is closely related to the virus that caused um, the 2002 to 2004 SARS outbreak. Um, and these are uh, both viruses that um, come under the uh, umbrella of coronaviruses. Um, and um, so what do we mean by a coronavirus? It's a familiar term, but what exactly does it mean? Uh, if I could have the next slide, please. Um, coronavirus is the name of a group of viruses fairly commonly found and they cause um, a range of illnesses including the common cold uh, as well as more serious things like COVID-19 and, um, and also SARS and another, uh, another nasty respiratory illness called MERS. Um, so um, MERS for example is something that um, uh, uh, can is is transmitted from camels to humans. So people uh, in the Middle East can uh, can be can contract MERS from uh, from close association with camels, and to a small extent they can pass it on to other humans. For example, if um, if they were sharing a hospital bay with, uh, with with somebody with MERS, then a person could catch it, or somebody who was looking after a patient with MERS could could possibly catch the infection. Um, and it's uh, a very nasty. Um, it's a very nasty illness. Uh, it's actually caused um, several hundred deaths over the last eight years, and it, as yet, it hasn't gone away. But it's restricted to the Middle East, um, so it hasn't been all that prominent in the in the Western media. Um, SARS itself um, was uh, as it caused caused a great deal of panic, but actually uh, went away by 2004 and only caused uh, something in the region of 800 deaths. Um, Compared with COVID-19, uh, which um, has has caused uh, well over half a million deaths, um, and we'll look at we'll look in a bit more detail about that in a second. Um, now, looking back to SARS, um, most of us will probably remember the the panic over SARS in uh, which is at its peak in 2003, and this is caused by uh, the SARS-CoV virus, which is now known as the SARS-CoV-1 virus to distinguish it from the one that's uh, causing the current pandemic. Um, now, this uh, is quite similar in, uh, in lots of ways to, to the COVID-19 illness, but with an 11% mortality, uh, which is significantly higher than that, that for SARS-CoV-2. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a very nasty illness to get, and it's even more dangerous um, with male sex and with greater age, as we've seen with COVID-19. And it also tended to have a severe aftermath in terms of lasting organ damage. 
So a very nasty bug, um, but it, um, it didn't go global in the way that SARS, um, uh, sorry, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus has. Now, uh, this is uh, an interesting point because the SARS-CoV-1 um, uh, virus has an R naught number, which is sometimes referred to the R number, that's the one we hear about on the news bulletins, of around three. So it's actually slightly higher than, than SARS-CoV-2. But what they found was that with infection control measures, this was readily reduced to just 0.3. Um, uh, as, as we know, we, we, we've struggled in the UK to get our, our number down to a little bit below one. Um, so um, why was SARS-CoV-1 so much easier to contain with control measures? What they found on researching it is that it's most infectious in those with severe illness, which tends to be in the second week of infection. Uh, whereas SARS-CoV-2 um, uh, is often very infectious in the couple of days prior to the development, de development of symptoms. For SARS-CoV-1, this delayed infectious period meant that uh, quarantine was highly effective. Those who isolated um, before day five of their physical symptoms rarely transmitted the disease to others. So what this is pointing to is that um, pre-symptomatic infectivity is the secret weapon of the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, which, as we said, is much milder, um, but it's been allowed to impact the global population much worse than its, uh, than its more severe relative because of this tendency to spread in the pre-symptomatic stage. Uh, uh, moving on to the next slide, please. So... Um, I thought it'd be interesting to share with you some, uh, s some information about the animal reservoirs of, of, of these illnesses. Um, we heard in the news um, at one stage they thought that snakes might be responsible um, uh, and, um, and also pangolins, these scaly anteaters, they were thought to be uh, a, a quite likely um, a source of infection in humans. Um, and it's certainly still thought to be the case that these live animal markets are where, where the, um, uh, the infection may uh, probably got into humans from. Um, uh, what's been shown most recently is that pangolins, although they do suffer from an, uh, an infection that's very similar to SARS-CoV-2, are probably not the, the transmission. And they, these, um, the, the, the way that people got uh, first got uh, SARS-CoV-2 is these civets and a civet is a bit like a, a large spotted mongoose um, uh, but the original host for both SARS at the top sorry SARS-CoV-2 and also um, and also uh, MERS uh, down below is these bats um, but the, the virus these viruses can't spread straight from bats to humans um, so we think most likely that if um, that it's camels, as we said, for MERS and for SARS-CoV-2, the, um, the, the civets. And it may, may or may not be coincidence that actually all these three creatures are um, mentioned in the Bible as, uh, as unclean. They're, they're, they're not halal for, for, for Jewish people to eat. Um, so you can make of that what you will. Um, fine, and then on the right of the slide, there's just some, uh, some little bits on how the virus can spread once it's in um, once it's in uh, in the human population. Um, okay, next slide, please. So, what do we mean by a pandemic? 
um, we, this is something uh, another term we hear here quite a lot. Um, is there a difference between a pandemic and an epidemic? Um, so a pandemic is is a subgroup of epidemics. Um, obviously, we an, an epidemic is is an outbreak of an illness. A pandemic is one that extends worldwide or over a very large area and in more than one country. Um, so it doesn't have to go absolutely global to be a pandemic, but it's got to spread through a, a, a large geographical region. And COVID-19 is actually the latest in a very long line of, of human pandemics. Um, and uh, in the next slide, uh, you can see a representation of the ones that have been recorded over the last 2000 years or so. Um, and um, the size of the, of the ball in each case is, um, is an indicator of how much uh, uh, devastation and death these things have caused. So as you can see, for example, um, near the bottom of the page, we've got HIV AIDS, uh, which has actually killed something in the region of 30 million people and is still very much with us, although to some extent medi uh, medical science has, uh, has managed to um, make that less of a, um, of a severe health problem than, than, than it used to be. Um, then the Spanish flu uh, in green um, is something that we've heard quite a lot about and it had its centenary last year. Um, it killed a very, very large number of people, more people in fact than the First World War by most estimates. Um, and, um, and then we've got further back things like um, uh, the Black Death um, uh, in the medieval times, um, and uh, other things like uh, cholera and, and, and smallpox and, and other plagues uh, in, the, um, in the 17th and 18th century. And um, looking at the 20th century and 21st century, there's the Hong Kong flu, for example, uh, from about half a century ago that still killed, was, was much less bad than the Spanish flu, but still killed about a million people. Um, and then we've got SARS and MERS, um, and Ebola, as well as COVID-19 right there at the bottom. Now, Ebola is uh, still very much a, 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 um, a health threat, although so far it hasn't spread outside of Africa. It's not quite as contagious as, as some of these, but it's an extremely nasty illness to have. Um, and then you might also remember swine flu from 11 years ago, uh, which did cause quite a lot of public health concern, quite a lot of uh, disruption in the UK, um, uh, although um, it wasn't... Um, wasn't that much worse than ordinary flu. And um, so uh, by and large, we societies coped with it fairly well. Uh, next slide, please. So what factors create a viral pandemic? There's a few conditions that have to happen for a virus to become pandemic. Um, and the first is um, uh, that in the animal uh, reservoir whatever that might be but we've seen very often it is bats there's there needs to be a mutants a mutation in in the virus um, so that it then becomes capable of transmitting from animals to humans uh, which is stage two and then of course for a um for a virus to become pandemic it needs to be able to transmit between humans uh, so for example the bird flu that we were all very very worried about um, i think it was in between SARS and the swine flu, um, that never really uh, gained the capability of spreading amongst humans. Um, and that's why uh, it, didn't, it didn't turn out to be anything as uh, quite as bad as we thought, although people who did catch it from birds became extremely unwell. Um, 
and um, and then the next stage is it has to be able to cause harm in humans. It wouldn't qualify as a pandemic if it was uh, if if it was a uh, uh, just a, such a mild illness that it wasn't wasn't all that significant. Um, and then there needs to be the extensive geographical spread. And on the right here, we've got an, uh, a representation of R, the R naught numbers, uh, or, or which is the same thing as an R number. So for example, MERS, the one you can catch from a camel, um, yes, it can spread from a human to human, but even without any um, uh, um, quarantining or distancing measures, the average person who gets MERS will transmit it to less than one other person. So the R number then is naturally below one, and that means it's not going to, to spread through the human population. Flu, R number of 1.5, so it's less infectious than, than COVID-19. Um, Ebola, also less infectious than COVID-19, although more infectious than flu. And then um, we've got COVID-19, a natural R number which is estimated about 2.5, and social distancing and all the measures we've been through in the last few months are, are there to bring that number down to below one, which at the moment it is. Um, SARS, as I've said, has actually got a higher natural um, R0 number than, than COVID-19, and then some other viruses actually significantly higher. So um, without any natural immunity or, or vaccination, the average case of measles was spread to 16 other people. Um, so you can see how tremendously infectious that is. Uh, which is why we rely heavily on, on, on vaccination uh, to, to keep measles out of the general population. Um, right, back to COVID-19 after that little digression. Um, uh, may I have the next slide, please? So what is COVID-19 illness like? Um, it's, um, it's an infection that can be completely asymptomatic, and we think that's about 15% of total infections, some uncertainty over that. In terms of severity, about 80% of those who do get symptoms will get a mild or moderate illness, um, uh, something along the lines of a nasty dose of flu, and only 5% develop critical illness. The average incubation period, which is the time between, um, between getting the infection and Develop, um, starting to develop symptoms is five days. And as we said, during those five days, um, particularly towards the end of those five days, you are likely to be very infectious to other people. Worldwide average death rate is about 3%. Um, so um, uh, that seems quite small. Um, you know, you've got a much, much greater chance of recovering from COVID-19 um, uh, for the average person anyway than, than, uh, if, than of, of um, of succumbing to it. But if you consider how many millions of people uh, around the world have had this illness, a 3% mortality, that translates to a, a, a very large number of deaths. So um, in absolute terms, this has been a, a, an extremely uh, lethal um, uh, public health situation. Um, and in those who do become very unwell, they, they would tend to get um, uh, more and more uh, breathless and unwell during the second week of their illness. As I've said, this is in a small proportion of patients. Um, and uh, so people who have to go into hospital, that would tend to be uh, in the second week. And if death does occur, then it's from respiratory and or heart failure. Um, yeah, can we go to the next slide, please? Feels like um, you often feel cold rather than hot. Um, and, uh, uh, and and you would, you would be able to confirm on a, on a thermometer that your temperature is 37.8 or higher. Now I'm going to suggest that uh, a thermometer is something that every household should have. 
Um, it, uh, you can get uh, digital thermometers pretty cheaply in a pharmacy and in relation to COVID, but also in relation to illness in general, uh, to, to, to have a thermometer in your home is ex an extremely useful thing. Uh, moving on to the new and persisting cough. This is usually a dry cough. It can be productive, but, but um, uh, classically it's dry. Obviously, if you, um, if you cough for just a day or so, then that's probably not, um, uh, d doesn't give a, any particular clear indication of anything. We're looking for a cough that goes on. And then the loss of this, uh, or disturbance of sense of taste or smell, this is something that became evident relatively late in the pandemic, but it's now recognized as one of the primary symptoms. And each of these three um, occurs in more than half of all cases. So if you imagine somebody who thinks they've got COVID-19 but doesn't have any of those three symptoms, then statistically, whatever else is going on, it seems pretty unlikely that they've got the COVID-19 illness. And then breathlessness. This doesn't happen in, um, in as many, um, but it is often considered a primary symptom because it's so important. Um, as a predictor of those who are who, who are struggling with with, with the uh, with with the illness, um, if we could have the next slide, please. And there is there are some other symptoms that um, that also can be of of, of relevance, um, but these aren't seen in in, in as many uh, people with the illness. So fatigue. Now this is seen relatively commonly, but then fatigue is an incredibly common symptom. Um, for, for, for all doctors and, and probably pharmacists too. I feel tired. It's, it's, it, it's, there's so many different ways that that can present. So although it is common in COVID-19, it's not very specific to this kind of illness. Um, and then as we're going down in, in, in uh, frequency, we've got appetite loss, joints, uh, joint and muscle aches, headaches, sore throat, blocked or running nose, diarrhea, which we're down to now to about one in 10 people having diarrhea, and then other digestive symptoms might be vomiting, might be abdominal pain, those are actually rarer. So your standard cold symptoms, headache, sore throat, blocked or running nose, yes, they can occur, but they're relatively uncommon. Um, so you're, you're, if, if somebody you know, in the autumn or winter gets a blocked or running nose, chances are it's not COVID unless they've got the, the primary symptoms with it. Um, okay, moving on to slide 12, please. So if I get primary symptoms, what should I do? Um, and um, now that we have um, uh, testing uh, available in a very widespread way, which you'll remember wasn't the case back in March and April, if you get any of the primary symptoms, you book yourself a test, okay? Because it's terribly important to clarify whether or not this is COVID-19 or not. Now the turnaround time for these tests is fast, both in terms of being able to get the appointment for testing, which usually happens in a testing center, might be 10 or, 10 or so miles from you, um, and also the, the, the result coming back. So if you, if you go on to gov.uk, and, and, and that um, address I've shown, um, then uh, you, can, you should be able to get a result within 24 hours. And then of course, the other terribly important thing is in the meantime, you must I self-isolate and anyone with whom you're in close contact must start to self-isolate, okay? So until you've got that test result, roughly 24 hours after you first gone on the website, you assume that you're gonna be infectious to other people. You assume that people you live with are gonna be infectious to other people because you may well have been exposing them to, to um, uh, SARS-CoV-2 before you became in, uh, uh, symptomatic and everybody has to self-isolate. If you test negative, great. So that means that almost certainly you don't have the virus. 
But just one slight note of caution, there is such a thing as a false negative with this test. In other words, you can get a negative test, but actually for some reason it's wrong. And so therefore, this isn't official government recommendation, but my own suggestion would be that if you have a negative test, but you continue to experience symptoms that make you think of COVID-19, then booking another test a few days later would be a sensible precaution. Okay, because a negative test is not 100% reliable. A positive test is, a, is a, at least 99% reliable, but a negative test is not quite as good as all that. And then uh, um, the last slide, please. If your test is positive, the government track and trace scheme will be immediately activated. And it's very important that those of us either who have a positive test or are contacted because of somebody else's had a positive test, it's very important that we cooperate with this. And uh, you know, we might see it as a bit of an infringement on our, on, on, on our personal information, but I think hopefully we can see that um, you know, with tens of thousands of people having died in England alone from this illness, it's, it's something really worth doing. Um, and um, as well as the track and trace, you will be required to self-isolate until seven days after the onset of symptoms. There's been talk in the news uh, this week that it might even be extended to, to more than seven days. And others in your home will be advised, but they often have to self-isolate for longer than you do because they may be having they, they, they may have symptoms just around the corner that they're not aware of yet. Um, and then there's uh, um, some very useful information on the uh, nhs.uk website uh, giving further guidance. Um, if you go to nhs.uk, you can easily click on where it says coronavirus COVID-19, but I put the full address there for completion. Um, and I would say that, you know, if after that you're still in doubt, then don't feel shy about calling your GP, okay? It's a good idea to look online first. And as you probably know, GPs, we're not bringing lots of patients into our surgeries because of risk of contagion, but we're more than happy to help people by video consultation or by phone. So um, if, you, if, you're, if you're suffering then, uh, or if you're anxious, then please contact your GP. Uh, you'll be able to get a doctor on the phone. You'll be able to get a doctor on a video link. And if appropriate, you'll be able to see your doctor in person. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. John. Um, that was quite um, uh, educative. Yes, our next speaker will be Dr. Obed. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, the, the topic of my presentation is prevention of COVID-19 infection. John has adequately covered what coronavirus is, so I'm not going to dwell much on it um, because he's dealt with it adequately, but I just had one or two slides to explain what it is, but I'm going to skip them. Now, going to prevention of infection, it rests on a number of sensible but simple measures. Since options for treatment were very limited during the early part of the pandemic, prevention was focused mainly on avoiding contact with potentially infected people. The infectivity of the virus, as has been alluded to John, lies somewhere between measles, which is extremely infectious, and influenza, which is less infectious compared to 
COVID-19. So it's a middle-range type of infectivity. The measures that were put in place were fashioned around what was known about the virus. As John has already mentioned, the elderly and those with chronic illnesses of the heart and lungs were more seriously affected than others. Children, especially those under 15, tended to be spared or tend to be spared. It was initially thought that the virus was not spread through inhalation, especially if someone was not very close, but doubts have recently been raised about that. The virus was also thought to live for a very limited period outside the body, especially on surfaces. Studies have now shown that SARS-CoV-2, as COVID-19 is called, can survive in air droplets for as long as three hours and on some hard surfaces for up to three days. Preventive measures are therefore designed with these facts in mind. Transmission also depends on the characteristics of the patient. Men are more seriously affected than women in a ratio of at least two to one. Those with severe disease exclude the virus for longer periods compared to those with mild disease. The range is seven to 12 days for those with moderate severity of illness and at least two weeks for those with severe disease. Patients can also excrete and transmit the virus for about two days before they develop any symptoms. More worryingly, people who never develop symptoms or develop weak and non-specific symptoms can also transmit the disease. It estimated that up to 41% of disease transmission may be due to people who are completely asymptomatic and are carriers. Why do men have worse COVID-19? disease than women. Men have weaker immunity than women in general. Secondly, the receptor for the virus is more strongly expressed in men than women. Men are more resistant also in following guidelines like physical distancing and wearing masks. And they also tend to ignore their symptoms and therefore tend to present later than women. A number of specific recommendations have been made and implemented during the pandemic. These include hand washing, physical distancing, use of masks, population lockdown, self-isolation, patient and foreigner quarantine, and lastly, drug prophylaxis, which has recently become controversial. One of the first and most important precautions to avoid infection is to keep your hands clean. This is in a physical sense, not in a metaphorical sense. Hands should be washed as often as they get dirty. Hand washing should be for at least 20 seconds with soap and water. They should also be washed before eating anything, even if you're not eating with your hands. Hand washing is very important for a number of reasons. Many of us have formed the unconscious habit of touching our faces, rubbing our eyes, and handling everyday common household things unnecessarily. If we do any of these, our hands can become contaminated and we run a serious risk of infecting ourselves. This risk increases if we share spaces with others, especially those about whom we know very little concerning the risks they pose. 
People are advised to wash their hands after coughing, sneezing, or blowing their nose. Individuals should use either a tissue or the crook of the elbow, especially when sneezing, as well as when blowing their nose. Any tissue so used should be promptly and safely dis discarded, preferably into a covered bin, and the ha hands washed promptly. Handshaking should also be avoided. Physical distancing. This is a preferred term. Is, it puts into focus what is required. It's generally called social distancing, however. Social concerns remain essential to avoid a sense of isolation that can lead to other problems. But it carries a risk with it. The purpose of physical distancing is to reduce the spread of the virus through contact, particularly from the shower of droplets that follow sneezing. In the UK, the guidance is to maintain a distance of at least three to six feet from people whom you don't live with in the same household. My, I don't know whether you can see my slides, but I have a picture of a spray of respiratory droplets produced when a man sneezes. And if you see it, you can understand how easy it is to spread this infection because with the modality of scanning that they used to show it, it goes quite far and it's quite copious and it's invisible to the naked eye. Can you see my slides? No, we cannot. Oh, sorry, okay. So I won't bother showing slides then. For the individual, physical distances include, includes non-contact greetings. It also includes avoiding gathering in groups. The maximum group that is currently advised by the WHO is 10. Most countries have, however, relaxed this, allowing larger groups to gather, provided there is space to maintain physical distancing. If effect of Containment like lockdown and physical distances have been shown. Unfortunately, you can't see my slide. But before the mitigation measures, the graph shows that there was a very great peak of infect infectivity with so many people being affected. But there has been a flattening of that curve with a later peaking from adopting the mitigating measures that the government have, has recommended. The reason for and the importance of those measures is because it, it ensures that the capacity of healthcare to, pro, to cope with the problem is maintained. Otherwise, the healthcare system might be overwhelmed, resulting in many people dying unnecessarily because they couldn't get access to care. Since the transmission seems to have waned, physical distances has become less rigorous, and use of masks has helped to achieve this new normal. Churches, pubs, and restaurants have now been allowed to open as a result. It remains questionable, however, how this directive can be effectively maintained, since you can't eat and drink wearing masks, neither are there tables that are three feet wide and more for you to maintain you know, social distancing. 
Because COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, the use of masks or face covering is a practical and effective barrier that helps to reduce disease transmission. This was advised quite early in the disease, but it was not mandatory, and as a result, was not adhered to by most people. It has since become mandatory, but the government, the government has made no recommendations on the quality of masks to be used. Mandatory use of masks has enabled the severe lockdown to be relaxed. The hope is that if the rate of transmission remains controlled and progressive, reduction in restrictions can then take place. The most important role of masks is to reduce the spread of droplets associated with coughing, sneezing, and talking. Uh, my next slide actually shows slide, uh, it shows uh, pictures of masks and how to wear them, but I'll skip that. Who should wear a mask? Masks and face shields should be worn by anyone giving close care to another person. They should also be worn in confined spaces like public transport where social distancing is not possible. The lockdown rule was relaxed on 24 July, allowing cafes, restaurants, and churches and other places of public gathering to open. The, re the relaxed rules are currently voluntary but will become mandatory from the 8th of August. They are particularly effective in, li in limiting the spread of droplets, I've already said. The CDC, which stands for Center for Disease Control in the US, recommends that anyone over two years can wear a mask. But in the UK, the lower age limit is 11 years. Who is exempt from wearing a mask? As I've said, children under 11, handicapped people who could be distressed by it, those accompanying deaf, deaf people who depend on lip reading for communication, Anyone asked by law enforcement to remove their mask or face covering, identity purposes. Other preventive measures include self-isolation on recognition of symptoms, quarantine of patients and foreigners from areas with significant disease. I'm sure you have not been aware of the current row between the Spanish government and the UK mm -hmm. government because the UK government is insisting on placing on quarantine patients from Spain. Drug prophylaxis is something that is of recent um, advocacy, has been a little bit controversial, particularly in the US. A Cameroonian, a doctor of Nigerian stroke Cameroonian extraction in the U.S. made headlines in the last week with her claim that she has been able to prevent and treat COVID-19 in 350 patients without any death. She used a combination of three drugs. Predictably, uh, the medical authorities, you know, were rather concerned by her claims and um, took steps to sort of shut her, shut her down. However, she has sort of been vindicated in the last couple of days because the French government announced a comprehensive treatment plan planned for French patients with the drugs that she is using. The key to her success seems to be twofold. 
early intervention before the patient becomes seriously ill, and use of combination therapy using three drugs, which are known to interfere with the metabolic functioning of the virus. Thank you, and that's the end of my presentation. Thank you, Dr. Obed. Uh, our next uh, presenter will be Daniel. Hello, yes, I'm Daniel, um, pharmacist. So I'm going straight into um, the treatment of uh, the treatments that are available for this virus. Um, now, as you've heard, there's no specific treatment at the moment, and uh, there is no, no claims of any treatment at the moment. So the best thing which we people are using are medications that are already available and that are able to mask or be able to cure the symptoms that arise, that arise from this COVID-19. Um, so what, uh, first of all, what I'll say is that there's a proverb that goes, that a strong spirit of a man will sustain him from every disease, will sustain him from pain, and will sustain him from trouble. So we have to build our immunity. You heard from one of the speakers that men generally have a weak immunity. Though we are strong and bold and come out strong in muscles, but immunity doesn't depend on strong-mindedness or strong fitness. Immunity is what is inside you. So my key points will be building up your, your immune system. And there are so many uh, drugs or so many things available that can be used, which are commonly available, including even the food that we eat that can be used to build up our immunity. Uh, the first one would be Echinacea. Echinacea is a very good uh, um, drug that can be found in a healthful shop and that helps to build up your immunity. Vitamin C is another drug, another, it's not a drug, it's vitamin C, a vitamin that helps the body to recover quickly from infection and other diseases, from common colds and other things. Um, zinc is another um, element that is being used very widely to help people to keep their immune system strong, especially to defend people from getting cold and coughs and other things. Um, there are other things like omega-3, which uh, studies have shown that it helps build up the immune system and uh, it also prevents inflammatory diseases, uh, inflammation, which is one of the, um, one of the symptoms that the COVID-19 presents. Vitamin D is another one that has been widely bought over the counter and people are, you know, you know, chasing up for vitamin D. There's a lot of shortages of vitamin D, but availability is always wide. I mean, from yesterday to today, the weather has been so nice. So there's a lot of vitamin D out there, which, you know, you can actually bask in the sun, walk in the sun, have a party in the sun, and you get a lot of vitamin C, vitamin D. I mean, vitamin D helps boost the body's natural immune system. It helps defend against viruses and bacteria and also prevents, you know, aggregation of, a, of a blood, of the blood. And also it helps with the inflammation as well. Um, there are other things that 
um, other um, elements that, that also can be used. Something like lactoferrin. Lactoferrin is uh, something that can be found in colostrum, which is the first breast milk of a mother when she has a baby. And this contains, the, the first breast milk contains high levels of lactoferrin. And lactoferrin is known to be an antioxidant, which also, uh, is also helps to you know, protect the cells. And it's an antiviral and antibacterial as well. And it's got a very good immune defense activities. So that's why it's very important for the baby to taste or to have that first milk expressed by the mother. I mean, as we are talking to a band of brothers, I mean, lactoferrin is, is good, but don't go and hustle your, your wives for any, you know, any breast milk because you don't get any from it. Um, it's also found in uh, cow's milk. So, you know, you can drink a lot of cow's milk. You can get them online, eBay. It's a lot of lactoferrin products available. Um, from here, there's also, I mean, a drug, common drug called aspirin. Um, aspirin, low-dose aspirin has been known for its effectiveness for people to prevent them from getting heart disease and other things. But, I mean, with all these things, you need to talk to your doctor. You need to speak to your doctor before you actually embark on uh, or try to start on low-dose vitamin uh, low-dose aspirin. So aspirin inhibits virus replication. It's been known from uh, studies. It's an, also an anticoagulant, so it prevents the platelet aggregation, which this COVID-19 causes the body to shut down by clotting the blood and therefore, you know, causing a lot of damage to the blood vessels. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory as well, which will help, but low-dose aspirin will not really help with the inflammatory condition. Uh, it also protects the lungs and it reduces the incidence of cardiovascular complications, which is brought about by this uh, COVID-19 virus. Um, so, I mean, these are preventive measures and these are things that you can use to build up your immune system. Now, what are the future prospects? I mean, there, there is uh, actions that has been taken already by people. I mean, uh, by the medical uh, medical uh, um, experts, and uh, as you, you heard from doctor, um, some are using combination of drugs that are already available, like uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, chloroquine, uh, zinc. Um, using uh, corticosteroids and also some antibiotics, especially azithromycin, and the combination of these with zinc and with some of the of, and vitamin C. I mean, rec I mean, uh, has shown that it reduces the the the, the rate of the, the 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 disease and also it also helps to. Uh, for the recovery. It, it helps reduce the, the time of recovery from this disease. So they are helpful and therefore we must, you know, try. it's a try and error and therefore no one should try to shut anybody down and we must always keep on trying something that will help prevent people from dying. There has been a massive research at the moment and there's a lot of research going on on conventional drugs that will help stop this replication of the virus. 
And these are some things like uh, Ramdesivir, Fanvipiravir, and uh, they are, these are two potential drugs that has been very looked after and governments have poured a lot of money in this to prevent, you know, to help, you know, get these drugs up the market. But I tell you, it's going to take years because to get a drug on the market is not easy. Um, people have also tried this uh, convalescent plasma, which is uh, obtained from people with the antibodies already. So if you uh, have the antibody, you've got a test and you have an antibody, um, you can naturally take your blood sample or take your blood or can donate the blood. And what they do use is that they use the plasma, that is the liquid part of the blood, to infuse into people with COVID-19. And that helps them to build up their immune system and also resistance against the infection. Um, there's one thing I recommend is the oximeter. Oximeter is not a drug, it's a, an instrument, not very expensive. Um, but if you are one of the groups that are very susceptible, it's best to get yourself an oximeter, which takes your, I mean, your, the saturation of your, your, um, your, your blood saturation. And that helps to, for you to monitor whether your blood saturation is within the normal or below the normal. And if you are below the normal, it's best to have a, you know, contact 111. I mean, the information will be given to you. Contact the uh, NHS 111 and then get help. I think I'll leave it here because of time restraints. And I hope you had enough. You, you get, you've got some information to, to put on your belt and to help build up your immune system and also to build up your body and to prevent you from getting this disease in your body. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Daniel, for uh, the information you've just passed on to us. Uh, like we stated earlier, we are not uh, offering prescriptive information here. If you have any concern regarding COVID-19, we advise that you dial 111 or contact, contact, uh, contact your GP as soon as possible. I would like to call on to Bolu now to share with us briefly. Thank you, uh, Daniel, and thank you for the speakers and the panels uh, who've spoken today. It's really informative. Um, I've been asked to just share a little message um, in, in summary, uh, closing. Um, so the other day, um, I heard the phrase, um, as soon as danger passes, God is forgotten. And it got got me thinking about how over the last few months the entire world literally has been focused on the threat of uh, this disease COVID-19 and in many ways it's actually united us together in a common fight against COVID-19. You know for me anyway it's opened up lots of different conversations with uh, colleagues, friends, family, you know I've had conversations such as what do you think this all means or it, it feels really apocalyptic or biblical and you know and even the mainstream media, I've noticed, has even appeared to give um, Christianity more positive airtime. Um, there was this song, I don't know if you, you saw it or heard it, called The Blessing, which became a real viral hit and um, was on pretty much on every news channel and in all the renditions that it had. And so what we've seen is that COVID-19, it, it didn't discriminate against uh, anybody, like in terms of like we saw our very own Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, 
he contracted it. We had athletes, uh, actors, you know, rich and poor um, were all affected. And um, it gave everyone a, a real sense of their mortality. However, now that things are sort of, you know, starting to ease up a little bit in terms of the lockdown and restrictions and talks of effective treatments, potential vaccinations, etc., there is a real sense of the danger might be passing. And if that's the case, does like our reliance on someone other than ourselves also begin to pass? Um, I remember about 10 years ago, I was very much like this. Um, you know, whenever I had a crisis moment or some sort of need, I would literally just pick up the God line and, and ask for help. You know, whether it was like I had a job interview, I would pop into church, get a quick prayer, feel good, you know, about a financial need or whatever mess I've got myself into, I'd be like, oh God, get me out of this. And sure enough, as soon as I got whatever I needed, I would just hang up. You know, I was what you might call um, a pay-as-you-go Christian. Um, I just had enough credits to get what I needed um, to get by without any real commitment. I wasn't interested in some sort of long-term contract, if, if you like. And, um, you know, I grew up in a, a Christian sort of background home, but so I knew the basics of like prayer, etc., how I could get by, but I didn't fully believe or want to believe. I was very much quite happy living my life um, the way I wanted to live it and so I remember this one time actually I had this real vivid dream and um, it really moved me because I never remember my dreams and so this one gripped me I was literally just sitting down in my lounge and just chilling watching tv and then my mobile phone rang and um, I picked it up and I literally looked at the caller id and it said uh, god g-o-d and I was like oh and I don't know what it was, but there was something like inside of me that just knew that if I answered that phone in the state that I was in, um, I was going to go straight to the man upstairs and my chances of passing go, if you like, were not very good. Um, I had a real sense that I was probably going to just go straight to hell. And um, so I didn't answer it, but I, I kept the matter in mind and I had it as like it was some sort of warning. Um, and so... That, but that was my problem, the state that I was in. Um, and it's very much the state that I was born in. And, um, you know, it's a nature or some sort of condition that predisposed me to like to do the things that were pleasurable um, for a season. But every time they always brought, they didn't bring the fruits that I thought they would bring. In fact, in that time of my life, it brought frustration, anxiety, even probably depression. And... Um, you know, the things I was doing, just to be frank, the Bible just calls it sin. And, um, you know, again, just, just to be clear, it wasn't my sort of individual acts of sin that made me a sinner. It was rather that my sin nature made me commit individual acts of sin. And that's the same for the entire human race. Um, we're all born with that nature. And, you know, you don't need to teach a child how to, to lie or to, to steal or cheat. There's something innate in all of us. And so uh, it became clear that I, I was in need of uh, a transformation or a new nature. I just couldn't keep going the way I was going and hope for different results. Um, the bad news is that I kept thinking that I had to be right first by my actions or behavior before 
I could sort of come to God and, and you know, I didn't realize that the actual good news was that the fact that I was um, fallen or, you know, incapable of helping myself is actually the very thing that qualified me to be ready for change. So what I'm sharing here today is that I really, really believe that God is calling everybody's number right now through events that are happening in the world. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion that COVID-19 is not the end. Um, it's just the beginning of many woes over the next few years and decades uh, of things that are happening. And I'm not saying God is um, the cause of these things. I'm, I'm, not, I'm actually saying he's just trying to get our attention to focus on Jesus Christ and, and, you know, and, and hope for our lives. You know, again, this, uh, this name, Jesus Christ, it, it's a real historical figure who walked the face of this earth. He was crucified on our behalf and resurrected on the third day so that we could enjoy a relationship with him. And again, this isn't fact, this isn't fiction or myth. Um, it's all verifiable. The Bible is literally just a collection of historical documents that were written down by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. You can, you can walk into any library today and find out that Jesus Christ is a real person. Um, so the question is, I hear someone's phone ringing. The question is, what network are we going to choose? You know, I'm talking about EE, Vodafone or O2. I'm talking about the network that allows you unlimited minutes, texts and data, 24 seven access to Jesus Christ. And what's the price? It's not money. It's not external behavior modification, but really it's all about the inner change of heart and the commitment to want to follow him and just learn more about him. So, you know, I wonder, is there someone here today who has had enough of topping up in their own strength? Is there someone here whose voicemail box is full for messages, signs and warnings from God? Is there someone here sick and tired of making that emergency call when the next danger occurs and, you know, you're living in fear? I really believe God has got your number. And if you pick up the phone, he wants to tell you really how much he, he loves you. He's always been there for you and taking you through many situations. Maybe it's time to unblock his number. Maybe it's time to stop blanking him. Um, I believe the time is here for us to, to answer that call. Um, many of us come from different walks of life. Um, I'm not suggesting for any one minute that um, this is a one-size-fits-all. Not everybody is going through situations, but the one thing that I believe gives us a common ground is the fact that one day we're all going to die, and um, preferably not from COVID. Um, but you know, and that's what gives us that common ground. And we're all, I believe we're all going to stand before God one day, and He'll ask us that question. You know, why should I let you into heaven? And so. I just wanted to share that today because I think, you know, crises like pandemics like COVID-19 do offer us a time of reflection, a time to pause and to just consider what's important. And, um, you know, and before we start to sort of get back to normal life and work and socialising, let's not forget the thoughts that we were reflecting on and what's important. And so um, <clears throat> if anything that I've <clears throat> shared today has uh, connected with any of you guys, then 
in this webinar, you know, would love to just connect with you and share a little bit more. If anybody invited you to this from KT, um, please, um, we'll follow up with you and just want to share more about how we can you know, start that journey uh, together. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Bolu. Yes. Uh, if we need to contact um, us one way or the other, we have the church telephone number on the invite as well as the email address. If you have any question regarding how to get to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ that Bola has just talked about, please call that number or send an, an email and you get a response. Thank you so much. Okay, so as I mentioned, for those of you who joined us later on, uh, we are a church based in Notting Hill Gate and as everyone else has experienced in the last few months, been locked down until recently, but we are back in small numbers and growing every week. If you would like to join us, we have services on a Sunday at 9, 11, 2.30 and 5.30. But if you are a little bit reluctant to come into a building, all of our services are online. So feel free to join us at kt.org. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email address info at kt.org. Do stay in touch with us. Thank you. Yes. Thank you everyone for participating today and I hope you did enjoy it. And just watch our, our space. There'll be more webinar to address current issues. Thank you everyone. Thanks for coming and God bless. Bye. Thank you. Thank you everyone. Thank you. Everyone.